Hello, I'm Olivia Braffman and welcome to If She Can, I Can, the podcast that aims to edge all of us ambitious women that little bit closer to navigating how on earth we get the high-flying career we love and have kids without totally burning yourself out and challenges the role society thinks we're supposed to play in it all. How? By talking each week to inspiring women who have proven the statistic wrong and have done just that. Let's get into it. This episode, I am thrilled to be joined by Christine Armstrong, whose story and now life's work didn't just speak to me and the entire why behind this podcast, it screamed to me. Christine is, in her words, obsessed with research into the world of work. She writes, speaks and vlogs on what the trends and data tells us is and isn't working, from new models of leadership to what flexibility and work-life balance really means. She was recently named sixth out of the top 50 future of work influencers in the world. And this obsession stems from her own personal experience of having to leave her initial career behind after having children. That then became the catalyst to her writing her book, The Mother of All Jobs, How to Have Children and a Career and Stay Sane-ish, published by Bloomsbury. The book is based on six years of interviews with working parents, employers, leadership experts and carers, and was a finalist in the Business Book UK Awards 2019. Wow, Christine, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. So getting to know you first, personally, a little bit, I read that you classify yourself as a noisy child and a bit of a show off. So what makes you say that? What was life like for you growing up? So my parents, I had a very international childhood. My father worked in Mauritius and then Saudi Arabia and then Zimbabwe. So I went to nursery school in Mauritius. I went to primary school partly in the UK, but also partly in Saudi Arabia in Jeddah. And then I went to boarding school and visited my parents in Zimbabwe throughout that period. So I had a very international childhood. I had two quite significantly older sisters from my mother's first marriage. But we had a lovely time. We explored the world. We went on lots of big adventures. And so you, I guess, followed what is somewhat of a traditional path you went to university you studied politics you then following that went to kind of start your career and get a job what was the plan at the time what was that career what were you thinking in terms of kind of the bigger ambition behind you and work I had zero plan at all so um, my mother as a child used to say that she was very lucky because she had two very bright girls and she was sure Christine would be fine so I didn't I wasn't an academic flyer at all at school I think everyone was staggered that I got into a decent semi-decent decent university um, and staggered out with a 2-1 um, mostly having spent my time having fun so I had zero plan I didn't manage to turn up to any milk round kind of you know go and get a job at Unilever training program that would I just my head wasn't there so um, I left university I'd done a degree in politics I've, I've never joined a political party to this day and at that time it was the sort of mid-90s Labour was on the ascendant all of my friends were all over Labour and there were no jobs to be had but you could get jobs in the Conservative Party because uh, no one else wanted them and given I was reasonably apolitical I went although I still feel a bit bad about it because I just wasn't really there you know politically but anyway it was a very interesting experience and uh, worked there for a while met lots of young David Cameron George Osborne type people who were striding around
around at that time. So it's quite interesting. Sort of went, I think sort of volunteered and then got paid some sort of very nominal fee to rock about and not be too useless. And then went into public affairs, a company called APCO. Um, really quite enjoyed that. That worked quite well for me. Um, they were very generously let me travel around the world again. And I went to um, Asia, worked in our Hong Kong office in China and Vietnam, which was fantastic. Went back to the, then I got moved to Canada and the States and then came back to the UK and moved into advertising. Wow. So you're then working in advertising. So a bit of a kind of a few different things going on career wise. And then you end you end in, in advertising. And was that when you decided to start a family when you were working in advertising at the time? I mean, I think it was there seven years, something like that. So I went in as director of communications. So it was a logical move from a communications consultancy. I met my husband and I was in my early 30s. We got married and then we decided to have kids. And then, I mean, the advertising agencies are quite brutal anyway. And they certainly were 14 years ago when I had our first daughter. But I had a really good boss at the time who was really supportive. And it would have been if he'd have stayed in the job, I would have stayed on and been perfectly happy there. I had a really brilliant job there. I was doing global research projects. I was traveling around the world, week in, week out, presenting them, speaking at lots of international events. So I had a real dream job. I had a lovely, lovely team that I worked with and I was very happy. And I got pregnant. And unfortunately, while I was on maternity leave, my boss got headhunted and went to another organization. He did call me after I went back with the baby and try and encourage me to move. For some reason, I wouldn't. I'm not quite sure why now. It's probably a terrible mistake. But basically, by the time I got back, I had a new American boss who had never heard the phrase constructive dismissal. So uh, welcomed me back saying that I could only have to work three days a week and don't worry about my team because he would manage them and, you know, he would take over my office and that sort of thing. So uh, I kind of had a bit of a tantrum and marched out and went to find another job and then made a really rubbish decision, went to a big consultancy, absolutely hated it from the moment I walked through the doors, culturally completely the wrong place for me. Conservative, detailed, data-driven. I mean, it's just all the kind of research that doesn't interest me. I particularly remember a pro project on mobile phone masks uh, which made me want to you know throw myself in front of the 79 on the way home so um and I was obviously doing that with a small <laughs> child I was pretty miserable for a while didn't really know what to do panicked thought I'd always been pretty good at my jobs I'd always really loved work so um decided but had another baby that might help a bit you won't be surprised to hear that made things even more complicated and um so after then I left and that was a bit of a full stop for a while yeah so I mean Clearly, people have such an influence in someone's ability to kind of thrive in a workplace versus not thrive in a workplace. And that was certainly the case for you. You obviously ultimately made a very tough decision to walk away from from that second job entirely after you had your second child. And that's no small decision because you at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a mortgage and you have childcare costs and you have all the kind of financial burdens that we have today. And so things must be pretty bad if you kind of go, you know what, it's it's actually not worth it and I can't do this anymore what was that like for you how did you feel at the time having that burden and you know not being able to continue in your job it was very dark it was very very dark we had two really small children Chris had set up a business I was obviously very tired I don't think I took naturally to motherhood as my I had a friend um who's uh, local vicar's wife and she um yeah she's got four kids she's an absolutely lovely person I remember going to her house and it was one of her kids fourth or fifth birthday party and she just had this beautiful cake and all these jellies and everything was ordered and I was like 
me like how do you do it like it's just so amazing and she was like Christine this is my safe happy place your safe happy place is in an office in a boardroom like that's where you're great this is where I'm great and thinking yeah she's right like this wasn't my natural environment being constrained being at home being bored doing the same thing again and again I wasn't I didn't take to it naturally I wasn't great at it anyway and then put on top of that a job that I was ill-suited for an environment that felt pretty hostile a lot of the time and it was a recipe for disaster so I think I was as unhappy as I've ever been and I met someone at that time I was still really good friends with and he took me out for coffee and he said to me you know not that long ago he said god you you know you've just really transformed since I met you at that period and I was like no no no, that was the low (laughs) like I was who I am now before that and since there was just this terrible dip in the middle when I was utterly utterly miserable you know what it takes a certain type of person to have something like that happen to them and and be in the kind of depths of themselves really and decide to take action from it so what you went on to do was then start interviewing lots of working mums businesses different people to try and understand essentially the the broader problem that, that you were impacted by and then help to solve it so what do you think compelled you to do something about it versus just sort of accept this has happened to me and it's really rubbish you know I'll go and get another job at some point so it's a really good question and what's interesting as you ask it is the sequencing's not right and I wouldn't have done it at that moment I was too broken I did the interviews when I was still at the ad agency so I was still on quite a high so when I was pregnant the first time I was still working ad agency I went to a management today event and I heard all the speakers and I wrote to someone I knew there and said I think that there's a column in working and pregnancy and small children. They were like, yeah, do it for free if you want. And I started to interview people. I started to blog about that, which is very fashionable time. Very racy blogging at that time. I started to blog about that. And then afterwards, I started to interview people when I really couldn't make it work. But I did that through sort of the early days of having my first child when I was still like not quite as damaged. I don't think I would have started a new project after I walked out initially because I really was so constrained and so... I think injured and and vulnerable, but because I'd started before I could continue it. And I think the external relationship with management today was a really important lifeline. And if people listening are going through a real crisis at work and they're thinking, you know, I'm just really unhappy and I'm not managing, I would say look for those external lifelines because those people that I interviewed gave me insight into other organisations. That relationship with management today sort of gave me a bit, and they didn't pay me. You know, I did this for free. I mean, eventually they did pay for something, but, you know, it wasn't why I did it. It kept me connected and it allowed me to do some of the things that I knew I was good at rather than constantly being suppressed by the things that I was bad at. Yeah. So then when you're off after your second job, then you could sort of just pick up something that that really fueled your excitement before and it became did it become a kind of um I guess stimulation that maybe you were craving in, in some kind of way after the second job. I think children a friend of mine says this, they kind of break you. They, you know, they do. Sometimes the first one doesn't, sometimes it's the second, Some very rarely it's the third. And sometimes people do skate through the, other, the early years and then something happens down the line. But generally everyone that you meet is at some point, in my view, broken by their own children, possibly with the exception of my friend who makes fairy cakes and just loves children. But, you know, the rest of yes, us, I was going to say, it they sound like they're it. <laughs> and then it forces you to recreate yourself as somebody different. And I think that process is painful for everyone. I think it's very painful 
if you're further away to that from start with you know some people are naturally inclined towards wanting to spend time with children enjoy small children enjoying that time or ha perhaps having more experience and some of us aren't and I think I was probably at the hard end of the spectrum as not well equipped and so I really had I think to go through that process of being very very broken by birth and early years motherhood in order to then rebuild and to redesign my life in a way that I needed it to work and it does now work and I think without having gone through the brutality of that experience I probably would have taken you know the boss who left who offered me three days a week working with him in the new role I could have taken that and probably kind of sailed through it but I wouldn't have ended up in the place that I need to be as quickly I think I had to break everything to start again to figure out what I needed to do I think sometimes you have to be in such excruciating pain that big change and big great things to then sort of come from it and happen to you and for you to actually be forced to change something. If things are just sort of mediocre and fine, it's probably not painful enough to do something about and you just sort of carry on. I think the challenge for people is when is it painful enough just to walk out because I really did just pick up my coat and walk out one day and I do not recommend that that is not an excellent strategy for anybody listening it is though a thought process and the question that I've learned since that I wish I knew at the time which Margaret Heffernan who's an amazing writer and speaker uses is what would you have done if you'd done everything so if you were in that awful job with two small children what else could I have done which didn't involve picking up my coat giving myself a massive financial crisis for a year um, and making it in some ways it was the right thing to do for me but it was high risk and there are lots of things I could have asked for a three-day week it didn't even occur to me in those days it wasn't such a thing but I could have asked for a four-day week I could have asked for a three-day week I could have negotiated to finish at three o'clock every day you know I could have taken a sabbatical it, there's lots of other things that I could have I could have been asked to move somewhere else in the organization because it, it was a holding group you know there are lots of things that I could have tried and I didn't I kind of got to a wall and I let it get so bad that I just you know just kind of if it was a film you know you'd walk out and there'd be a bomb exploding behind you you just kind of walk out and you're done and so what I would say to anyone listening who's finding it really tough is sit down with someone you trust and go through that list what would I do if I did everything before I walked out who would I talk to where would I get advice what other options could I explore that don't involve setting fire to my bank account and having a crisis for a year yeah it's extreme but I mean look I guess look where it's led you too and in that time after you I guess you took all of the years of work of interviewing various people and you you turned it into a book do you ever expect this book would become the start of a, a new career was that was that ever the intention and the plan? No, I had to be pushed into putting it into a book proposal. And um, somebody I work with is very precious to me, who was the editor of a newspaper and who just understood these things. So Christine, you know, so what I would find in the interviews is that women would tell me one version of their life events and what they'd gone through on the record with their name and their partner cited their organization and then they would tell me a very different story privately about their relationships about how supportive or mostly not their bosses and organizations were about the state of their relationship with their children about you know how they felt about the world and I realized that the whole Sheryl Sandberg lean-in was absolute nonsense that actually the world wasn't set up for us to combine big jobs and small children. And so we needed to rip that apart and say, it's not designed this way. Therefore, it's really, really, really difficult. And if you can't do it, you're not failing. The system doesn't work. And we have to be safe to say that. And then we can argue for the system to be rebuilt. And then we can change our own lives, our partnerships, our household structures accordingly. So that was the story that George understood that I needed to tell and that I did tell with the book. And 
getting the deal from Bloomsbury was such an amazing moment. You know, I know exactly where I was sitting. I know what I was wearing. I know when the phone came in. You know, it was such an amazing, exciting thing. And then I went to find an agent because that's what people do. I got a book deal and then went to find agents. And I spoke to a guy who I sort of knew socially, he was an agent. And I said, what do you think? And he said, I've got it over lunch. He said, I've got to tell you, Christine, um, writing a book. I mean, it won't change your life. And I nearly fell off my chair. I thought, Christ, you know, who do you think I am? This is going to change my life. And then I sort of, you know, you sort of think, well, maybe he's right. But it did change my life. It really genuinely changed my life. It changed my understanding of the world. It changed what uh, the value that I attributed to my own views and own perspective. It built different relationships. It connected me with amazing people, particularly women who'd had similar experiences or wanted to hear more about experiences like that. So it really was spectacularly life-changing. How incredible. So you start writing this book and it's such a compelling title because I think everyone, all the, all the kind of mothers out there are probably thinking, well, how do I do it? And I guess if you could summarise how do you have children and, and a career and stay sane-ish? Like, what is the secret source? Is there a secret source? Or does it depend on many factors? I think you're right that it's a great title. I think if there's a frustration with the book and the feedback that I get is that it doesn't totally answer it. And that's because the way the system is currently designed, there isn't one answer. I can't say, right, if you do this, this and this, it'll work. I read an article in the Times this weekend about somebody who apparently has written that book, which is all about, you know, making space and making time and having defined boundaries, during which, as I read through the article, it said she had a full-time nanny. And I know that many people listening to this will just fall around laughing and say, well, if I had a full-time nanny, I'm not sure I'd have all the problems that I had. So we have to be realistic about the fact that most people in this country you know don't have individualized childcare that's tailored to their life they don't have cleaners they don't have partners who necessarily are able to contribute they may be single parents or they may have partners who just don't see the world that way and so I think a lot of the advice you know find a partner who'll scrub the toilets is all very well except when you've already got three kids and they just don't so I think you know what's the simple answer you start with what you've got and you have to be bloody cold and hard and realistic about what you're capable of and what you can achieve who you are and your goals I think a really brilliant piece of advice that Zoe Williams who's Guardian journalist who I interviewed for the book uh well interviewed for the management strategy rather than the book uh gave to me was there is a season for everything and if you're sat with two small children thinking but my goal was to be you know the UK's best interior designer or chief executive of my pharma company or you know design the next amazing app you may not be able to do it right now but you will be able to do it if you have the skills and the dedication just not all of it at the same time and so Really, then it's about breaking it into the chunks of your children's childhood at different stages and different phases. Where are they now? The nursery years feel absolutely brutal. And financially, we know it's an absolute beast. And you will never have that outgoing again in the same way. And it is it claws at your soul the amount of money that you have to spend. But if you are spending that money, you do get a longer day. Then they go into school. Suddenly you get your money back and the buggers finish at 3.15. And you're like, well, nobody warned me about this. How does this piece of it work? And then they go to secondary school, which my oldest has now done. And someday she misses the bus on the way home. And you don't know where she is because they don't answer their phones. They don't actually speak on phones these days. So you can sort of broadly see where she is. But somebody's got to go and get her or she's got to get on a public bus. You know, then you've got a whole different set of anxieties. So at each phase, you have different anxieties, different things. And you have to set what's capable what's possible you have to lower your standards to accept the household and everything else that can actually work for you and then as soon as you think you might have got it sorted it changes and you've got to do something else 
there are a couple of core things that I would suggest you bear in mind. One of them is what I call whole house thinking. So often when we have our first child, what we do is go, well, little Ellie doesn't sleep. So don't worry, we'll take turns and be up with her in the night. And little Ellie will only eat mashed potato with cheese and only actually new potatoes. So that's fine, we'll just find loads of new potatoes. And we kind of make all these adjustments. Then we have a second child if we do have one. And then we go, oh, holy crap, we can't both not sleep all night and we can't only eat new potatoes. So actually this is going to have to change. So so whole house thinking, what works for everyone? Like you have to work with the partner that you've got. If you've got one, if you're a single parent, you've got to be realistic. You can't idealise, you can't read all these books and go, well, if I had a full-time nanny, I'd do it that way. Well, you don't. So let's move forward, shall we? If you can't afford the nursery, what can you afford? Childcare, childminder down the road, can you swap childcare with someone? So you've got to start with your household, what's possible, what you can do within it. I think that's a really big thing. And I think the second big thing that goes with that is don't set financial patterns that are going to kill you. If you can't afford to have a full-time nursery if it just doesn't work you've got to think of something else like you you know then start with swapping look at what you've got in your network look at child look at all the options and try and figure it out and i'm not saying there are any easy answers but if you build in huge costs that you then can't maintain that is a way that i quickly see people going into very dark places i think sometimes i love that you said sometimes you just can't do it all now and you need to sort of break it up into into seasons because i think there's a pressure. I certainly feel a pressure of, right, I'm in my 30s. I'm in my prime work-wise. I'm not inexperienced anymore. I need to kind of prove my power as a woman and just continue to sort of earn and and kind of be that ambitious career woman that I'd always set out to be. Even though now I've got this huge burden of a small baby, it's almost like figure out how to fit it in. Don't leave work. And I think having almost permission from someone to say, you just can't do it now, but don't worry. Because if you kind of restart your career and realize your potential in, I don't know, five years or whenever the right time is, you can still hit the big career milestones and the potential that you have. If someone said to me, you will still make it, but you just need to take this much time off, I'd probably do that tomorrow. But there's this fear of what if I miss the boat? What if I have to continue to do it now? because now's my time. Mm, well, it isn't, is it? Because you've got other things on your mind, so it can't no, be. No, it's not. Time. And if you think of it in terms of Linda Grattan's 100-year life, none of us are going to be retiring at 60 or 65 like our parents. So, you know, if you're in your 30s, you may well have 40 or 50 years left in your career. You have so much time to do things. And I know it doesn't feel like that when you're at home with a small baby and you feel like, but I've just got started. I've just got good. I know what I'm doing. I'm just at an earning point where I can actually pay the bills and it's starting to feel great. There is so much time and I think we put so much pressure on ourselves unnecessarily and what I would love to see us is to people go I've had a baby and it's completely normal just to take a few years that's probably still work because I'm going to pay the bills I don't want to go completely crackers you know but I might work six hours a day or I might work you know a few days and you know with hybrid and remote we should be able to work in a much more generous way that allows us to you know do other things as well yeah no I I totally agree and I think I like that the approach is, look, it's very specific for the individual. And I always kind of looked at situations and thought, I, ne- I never know what's easier or better. Is it, you know, go and work for a large corporation where the rules of working are more fixed and apply to everyone in the organization? So you generally get privileges like paid for parental leave and annual leave that's holiday. You know, you could, you could go to Spain and be paid 
while you're on holiday and all these kind of great things or you might have health care for your family or is it better to be self-employed or work for a small organization where actually the rules can be created for you or even by you and you've got complete autonomy to do what you want when you want work how you want but then you don't get privileges necessarily like some health care or paid holiday or parental leave and so therefore there's a bit more of a pressure to sort of work it's really difficult you know how to make it work for your own situation it depends on the organization you're in and how supportive they are and how happy you are you know i did some work not very long ago with marks and spencers for instance and i spoke to some women who were pretty well supported coming back to work some of them got promoted after they'd had kids and you know they were able to work very flexibly and you know they were feeling really good about that and it was great to see i speak to other women in other organizations that obviously i won't name that are absolutely destroyed by the culture of, the, of their organizations by the language by you know what's going on around them so i think the questions you've got to ask yourself is what kind of organization in what kind of a role and the freelance life can look great I I know that people look at my life and they think well that looks pretty nice you know I travel a lot I speak on a lot of stages I do a blog every week I do research I meet great people it's lovely but a I would say I've been pretty lucky b you know I found a niche that pays me what I need to be paid and allows me to do the work that I love doing And that takes time and effort. And I see a lot of women coming through the childcare years who then think, right, I'll go freelance, but they're not 100% sure doing what. They often do something that I will flag as, as something that troubles me. And it's not to say it doesn't work, but it's hard which is they often try and sell services to other women. So, I mean, become, for instance, an interior design advisor or therapist, counsellor or a yoga teacher or Pilates teacher or perhaps fashion advisor, something like that. And their business model is based on selling services or a beautician to other women. And in my experience, there are some women that do brilliantly at that make a lot of money, but a lot that find it very hard going to make an income because all those women they're selling to uh probably have small children and are also you know quite hard up on budget so I think where I found it to be easier is to do work with businesses because the budgets are different and it's a different kind of trend so that's one thing that if somebody's coming out of a corporate job I would say to them is just consider what it is you really want to do and whether there is a business service that you can provide that meets the genuine need of a business to buy something Yeah, I think we can all be sort of, um, the grass is always greener, I guess, when we think about our own situation and not really understanding the realities of what people are facing. I think the season's important, but also another analogy that I sometimes find is useful is the diving board versus the shoreline, which is a lot of people see it as a diving board. So I'm going to leave my corporate job and dive into freelance work and I'm going to start a business and it's either or rather than the kind of shoreline of let's dip my toe, which you are doing with the podcast, you know, let's try out some things. Let's see what resonates. Let's see what people will buy. Let's see what where I feel really good. Because I think there's two things to think about in your career, uh, which I see making people really successful. And one is, am I doing the kind of work that energizes me that I, I enjoy? And am I doing it in the situation that I enjoy? Am I doing it in a place, in an environment that really works for me? And so for me, you know, I think I was, you know, well into my 40s before I discovered that my happy place is on a big stage with lights and cameras, uh, which makes me sound like an absolute knob, but let's just own it. And it took me a really long time to find that out. And now, you know, there's nothing I love more than getting up on Monday morning and going, right, I'm off to Manchester and I'm going to be talking to a thousand people about the future. I love that. It energises me. Other people would find that that absolute idea of hell. I mean, my husband would... (laughs) can't imagine anything worse so it's like that environment 
plus what you actually do. And I think trialing lots of different things, you know, is the way forward. Yeah. And so I guess speaking of you going up to manager and speaking on stages and and working with often very large businesses you're going in and you're advising them essentially how to make work work for their people and and there's so many benefits you know their people stay longer they're they're happier the, the business likely is more profitable as a result of having people stay longer who are happier what are the kind of findings that you see going into these large organizations and what is the kind of advice, I guess, that you generally see yourself giving to them? And and I might add, this is not just necessarily for parents, although that may be a big swathe of the people that, that are benefiting from this advice, but it's all people. It's all people that exist in that organisation. So I don't really see myself as a consultant as such. I'm a researcher. So I go and interview people in organisations about the way that they're working, what works for them, what doesn't. And I put that together with the massive data sets that are out there about what we show drives people to stay in their job or leave their job and what the factors are. And I try and help organisations understand what might be going on for them. So at the moment, I'm interviewing lots of people who work in a very, very specific sector about what's going on in that sector. What are the trends? What are the things that are relevant if you're running this kind of a team that work and don't So I think the massive change, which is sort of obvious, but let's just it's very relevant to parenting. So let's spend a minute on it. Is this change from the old breadwinner model? And what I mean by that is the kind of basis for the storybook, The Tiger Who Came for Tea, which I often use the reference where daddy is out at work making money and mummy is at home with a child. And we have broken that model of society. That isn't desirable. It's not realistic for almost anyone, you know, under the age of, I don't know, 55. So we then have dual income households if we have two parents working. And when I used to do talks pre-COVID, I would say to audiences, put up your hand if the way that we're working now is working really well. And maybe 5% of the room would put up their hand because combined with the the degradation, the disappearance of the breadwinner model, we also have the rise of always on. So people are constantly on phones and global business. So you've got a call with Shanghai and a call with New York and a call with Sydney and you're answering calls while your children are in the bath and you're trying to prove a document at seven in the morning as you're trying to put get your child to put the shoes on for the 17th time and none of it is working and everyone's in their house looking at their partner or looking in the mirror if they're on there and going why can't I make it work what the hell is wrong with me maybe maybe I just need a slow cooker maybe that would solve it you know maybe I need a bigger whiteboard I don't know what is it that I need that could solve this dilemma and what I'm saying is none of it was working and then along comes COVID And everybody's like, well, why have we changed the way we're working? I have CEOs shouting at me, genuinely shouting at me when I'm, you know, talking about this. Why are you talking about this waste of time? Everyone needs to go back to work, Christina, this nonsense. And I say, none of you clean your own bath. None of you are running around Sainsbury's local on a Wednesday night trying to find something that their kids might actually eat. Like you're not in that headspace. You're not in a household where this is all falling apart. So for all those people in the rest of the country who are living that life, they're like, oh thank goodness there is another way there is another way and it makes it a bit easier not doing a two-hour commute three days a week transformative being able to pick the kids up from school not having to pay someone else to do it you know I talk to people who've gone from two cars to one car they're saving themselves 300 quid a month you know they're not commuting that that's saving money they're saving time they're able to cook dinner or put a wash on you know before they have a conversation with you and that's completely transformative and there's this whole group Jacob Reese Mogg and Helen Sugar and you know all these men and none of them get it they don't understand it and sometimes you know women in organizations call me and say look could you come and make that speech because you'll make it really funny but the men will actually listen to it from you and they just some of them don't get it the older men so I think a lot of what we're seeing is this unbelievably exciting moment of change that is being 
powerfully resisted by people who don't get it at all. Mm. When you're going up and speaking on a stage and advocating for the certain, you know, the reasons why change has to happen and then the impact of what, what might be if they implement it. Do you think they listen? Do you think they, do you think you walk off the stage and they actually go, okay, what can we do about it? What I think I do is explain it to them. So the rage that I get, and I did a dinner recently and a man had a few glasses of wine, he banged the table and said, why is this not going back? COVID was nothing to do with how we work. And when I explain it to them like that, they suddenly get it. And then they start being slightly uncomfortable because they know that they are in a group that it doesn't apply to. So that really helps. And the thing is, I don't tell them what to do. That's not my job. I tell them what the research says. So I say, look, we've gone from one way of working. Everybody goes to the office pretty much, unless you've just had a baby. Then you can work flexibly. But then obviously you won't get a pay rise or taken seriously. And you'll still work the same amount of hours as before. They'll still expect you to be online on Friday. You just won't get paid for it. And you won't get a bonus. So, so that didn't really work. That was rubbish. So now we've got options. OK, you've got six different ways that you could work fixed hybrid when you know your days you've got fluid hybrid you've got all remote you've got full return you've got 40 weeks. and as an employee you can choose when you go to a job you say right I want this salary but also I want this model of work and that is your choice and that as an employer they have to allow that choice now they can be a big American bank and say I want everyone back five days a week that's their choice that's fine I'm on stage so that's fine that but that means you're going to pay 20% more on average, for people because they don't want to go back five days a week. And also you're not going to have the best candidates because the most talented people don't want to work five days a week in the office. So that's your choice. So you make these choices now. So I'm not campaigning and saying you must do it like this. That isn't my job. My job is to say, here are the options. This is what the data tells us that people want. And this, these are the consequences of those different choices that you might then make. And then they walk away and go, shit. And also, if you do go back five days a week at the moment, you're going to have possibly 50%, 60% compliance. You'll still have lots of people who don't come in all the days and you've got no route to address that because what are you going to do? Let go of 40% of your workforce? You can't. So, and obviously you can't afford to re-recruit them as we've just discussed because you've got to pay more for them and they don't want to come for you because you're five days a week. So you're, you know, this isn't me trying to be mean to them. I'm just explaining why it is that most people have moved to some sort of hybrid or remote model. Um, And then they kind of understand it. It gives them the language. It gives them a way to process it. And although they might occasionally be very cross with me, actually, I feel like it releases a sort of tension in them, that understanding. Mm. That is your superpower, Christine, is explaining things in a way that people are incredibly engaged by and is digestible and relatable no matter who the person is that's actually listening to it. Something I want to get onto is is work-life balance, which I know is something that you talk to lots of businesses about and I think everyone struggles with. And I almost don't like the idea that you've got work and life and then this this need to balance in the middle because the two just sort of coexist. We're not we don't morph into someone different when we're at work and then morph into someone different when we're at home. We are the same person. So what does it mean to have a work-life balance in 2023 and what do we do to sort of get the best out of both sides of our our life I guess. So take the word balance throw it in the bin and use the word boundaries so you want some time that is your home time and you want some time that's work and there may be some where it's blended you know it might be that I'm sat on the sofa and my kids are watching H2O or some other absolute nonsense and I'm with them but I'm quietly just closing down my emails for the day, responding to a few things on socials. I have no problem with that at all. It's not stressing me out. They're happy that I'm there if they need me. So set out where your boundaries are and where it stops. You know, I, you know, I was raised 
to be responsive at work. I don't leave much unignored. You know, I deal with stuff. But equally, I have a really nice life. I turn stuff off. I go to the park. I hang out with my dog, my kids, my husband. So know where your boundaries are and be clear about them. And I think the hard thing for people working in organisations is if you work at, say, a law firm or a management consultancy, no one thinks you've got any boundaries. They expect you to be contactable all of the time. So what I would say, well, obviously, you know, get somebody like me to come and talk about it, but agree with your team. When are we online? When can we turn it off? When do we not need nearly as many meetings as we're having? When can those meetings be shorter? How do I say no to these meetings? What do I not need to do in order to do the things that I actually do need to deliver? And what I hear again and again is people not clear about what they're delivering in a week. So they're not clear about what their outputs are and then being dragged from pillar to post to nonsense meetings that take ages, that don't contribute anything, they're bored out of their minds and they're not doing the things that they should be doing. So real clarity about, and that's the nice thing about working yourself. I know what I need to deliver this week. I'm going to write this speech, I'm going to deliver this talk, I'm going to get this vlog out and I know what it is exactly and precisely. And I think most people in corporate jobs have some, some grey around that. So I think define your outputs and have boundaries around them. And I read something brilliant on Twitter yesterday, Dr. Nicole, what's the second name, can't remember, um, about the opposite of triggers of stress. So opposite of sort of spikes of stress being glimmers, like hold the moments, like the beautiful moments, look for them, like the coffee in the sun, you know, when you post your kid through the door and at nursery and they smile and wave and, you know, that just like that little, like hold the moments, like look for them and, and take those little moments of pleasure during the day because that stuff just brings you right back down and gives you a bit more perspective. That is so true. I'm just thinking of mine at the moment because I have now a 12-week-old son and the nights are long, as I'm sure people can relate to who have kind of had newborns. And I wake up in the morning and for some reason, even though he's, I've been up God knows how many hours and how many times, I get this huge grin in the morning of like, oh, I remember who you are and you're my mom. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, I am like happy again. <laughs> I'm like, I'm completely, completely forgive you for the fact that I've slept three hours yeah that and a sleeping baby a sleeping baby is definitely a glimmer isn't it (laughs) yes that is so true that is so true so do you genuinely believe that change will come and obviously the work you're doing is so important and but I'm sure every time you go to another organization it's like there's a lot that each one needs to do to actually implement the things that actually you know will ultimately retain their staff and and live happier it takes a while to implement these things Do you believe that change will come and it will start to make a dent in? Change is happening. It's happening now. I mean, when I published in 2018, it was not on any party's political agenda to introduce free early years childcare. And it has been announced by a Conservative government. Now, I know that it's it's not appropriately funded. I know that childcare providers are rightly furious about it. I get it. But that is such a big shift in a relatively short period of time. The generation that that operated in the breadwinner model is retiring. They are leaving the workforce and the new generation coming through give them great hope. I interview dads all the time who want to be equal parents, who don't want to be out all week, who completely understand the idea that if they lean into work, their wife gets kicked out of it because she's having to do the pickup or the drop off all the time. So they completely get that they need to work with their partner. They want to work with their partner. So I feel that change is happening all the time. And I think the most progressive organisations are working so hard at trying to help people with boundaries and remove a lot of the overwhelm and the clutter that we've seen build up over the last 20 years. I think there's a huge amount of progress on parenting and parenting rights. I think there will still always be organisations that are alpha, boom, 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 boom. But I think what I'd like to see is just people having more choices and maybe those organizations being more clearly identified
inspired one, you kind of go, look, if you want to work 60, 80 hours a week at full pelt, this is a great place to work. And if you want to do 40 really solid hours, but then leave, and unless there's a crisis, get on with your life, that's also going to be more easily defined. I think that's the world that I, you know, be quite enthusiastic about. And I think we are moving in that direction. It's slow. It always feels like you're going nowhere. But I, I see a huge amount of progress. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm seeing a huge amount of progress as well, just from the outside of what different businesses are now promoting when they're advertising for different jobs. And actually they're they're using these flexible elements as sort of a key reason why anyone would want to go and work there. And I think people in certain positions in their life are kind of taking that as the ultimate benefit of of working for certain employers. 85% of people want flexibility. So if you want to recruit, you've got to offer some flexibility. You know, it's it's huge. You're absolutely on the same train of thought that I'm on. And I read this amazing quote that was, you can have anything, but you can't have everything. So there is, you know, anything you want, someone is going to provide and you can find it and you can strive for anything, but you can't have everything at all times that you could possibly ever want. And it really is to what you mentioned, it's finding those things that that are most important to you and, and at the point that you're at in your life and making sure that those are the things that you're prioritizing over everything else. Christine, thank you. It's it's so enlightening to kind of hear your perspective on all of these topics. And ultimately, you know, I'm I'm sorry for what happened to you and, and the incredibly dark time that you had to go through with your work after having your second child. But I'm grateful for what you've managed to do as a result of it because so many people will be in a much better place and, and working for much more open-minded and flexible employers as a result of, of the work that you're going in to do and you know what sometimes it's easier to have someone else come into your organization and and say the hard truths and advocate for what you need versus you being able to put your hand up or storm into the CEO's office and have those conversations yourself so I feel like everyone needs a Christine to just kind of storm in and have their back. <laughs> Very happy to turn up. I think what everything that Pregnant Then Screwed's done, because I do think Jolie Brilly's done an amazing job with raising these issues. So I think, you know, I, I kind of see what's going on externally. I think what we can do internally as employees or, you know, as people engaging with organisation, I think the two coming together, I think government moving, you know, it's all the wheels have to turn together. But it does feel to me like we will get there. We will. I've got three daughters. We've got two. <laughs> and they must be incredibly, what do they think to the work that you're doing? and I mean, they're not quite in the workplace yet, but how do they kind of see what you're doing? I took my oldest to an event at Spotify and she was very impressed because they've got an Apple um, dispensing machine, like a crisp dispenser, but it's got Apple products in it. She couldn't have been more excited. And then um, we were, I went to Dublin recently and we were on a biking splash tour wearing like literally hats with horns in a boat, in a bus that turned into a boat. And as it came off, another guy in a horn hat comes around to me and says, oh my God, I watch your vlog. Can we have a photo together? My kids are like, you are actually mortifying. This is the worst moment of our whole lives. <laughs> so I'm not sure what they think. You're like, I made it <laughs> Amazing. And I would really strongly suggest that people listening subscribe to the newsletter, listen to the vlogs. They're short and bite sizable so when you're busy and on the move and you just, they're the perfect thing to just sort of listen to to give you that sort of little bit of fuel for the day or a little bit of a different kind of perspective or way of thinking about kind of cheeky trends that are going on so I will pop the links down below so you can all subscribe and Christine thank you so much for your time today lovely to talk to you thanks very much and good luck enjoy your baby 
Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to leave me a quick review and subscribe. It helps us reach a bigger audience of women more than you know. And if there is an awesome individual who needs to share their story on this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My details are in the description below. I will see you next week.